never know when to say when people praise me for what I've done because on the one hand I've done so little I'm almost embarrassed. On the other hand, I, I'll take it further and say I've done nothing because Master's done whatever little he could do through this poor instrument. But it has been a joy to serve him in some way and I'm grateful that in this incarnation I've had the opportunity to be a disciple of such a great master and such a great line of masters. And what I always say to people is that we should all try to be instruments in whatever way we can to serve him. And serving him means to act as instruments for that light. And it can come in all kinds of little ways. You don't have to be uh, in charge of some uh, operation, some work, some function of an organization, or anything like that. I'll tell you a sweet story that happened to me some years ago. I was in Paris, and it happened to be my birthday. I wanted to go to a concert to celebrate my birthday. And when I got to the door, they were just closing the door because the hall was full. And I called out, this is my birthday. And, uh, <laughs> and the man said, oh, joyeux anniversaire. And I asked me to come in. So I sat, but the hall was full. It was a large church. And so I had to sit facing the audience, so behind the altar, being the only room left, there were just a very few who got to be up there, and it was a wonderful concert. I was glad that I got to go, full of joy. And uh, I always believe in dreaming, even if, even if you can't um, fulfill your dreams, dreaming them makes it possible to fulfill some of them. So I went up to the director and said, can we invite you to California? I have no idea how I'd do it. He said, yes, but of course we haven't been able to do it yet. That's been a number of years. Still, I'd love to. Because when you find joy expressed in any form, then you want to help grow, help build that, that joy. Well, anyway, the sweet story that occurred was later on the metro, the subway, going back to the hotel. And this old woman came up to me and she said, do you remember me? I said, well, no, honestly, I don't. And she said, well, I was there in the audience. Well, there were 700 people in there. <laughs> but what made it sweet was that somehow she felt this connection with me because I was feeling this joy. And the joy that we feel is the joy of everybody. It's not ours. When you're in that joy, you're in the joy of every soul in the world. And she, just as if I was a, an old and dear friend, started telling me, about her daughter who was getting her trouble and not, not uh, following the line she wanted and asking advice and different things. Didn't know me from Adam. But it was such a sweet thing because it shows what we can do to serve the masters. We don't have to have a formal function. We just need to be not ourselves, but ourselves. There's the difference. We need to live more in the self. And wherever we go, we can just be walking down the street and praying for the people that we see. And sometimes they'll let you know that their lives have been touched. And many times they won't, but they, 
will be touched. And you know that you haven't done it. But God can do it through you. Now the more that you expand that light, expand that love, the more you find the Master's alive in you. Because just like the parable of the talent that uh, Jesus told, that this one disciple, this one servant, who buried the talent in the ground, he was considered a bad disciple. But that, that servant who invested it, and it grew and became a lot more than one talent. And talent, of course, in ancient Hebrew times meant a unit of coin. But to us it means, and I know that Jesus meant it more, in our present sense too, a gift, a talent, something God has given you. Don't hang on to it and just call it mine. Don't say that uh, I just have to live in myself. But share what little you have and more will come. The more you give, the more you have. That's the wonderful thing about these teachings. Another lovely story that happened to me many years ago that uh, I think is worth sharing in this context. Master asked me to stand outside the church after he'd given his lecture and shake hands with people. Now he said that when you shake hands with people there's an exchange of magnetism. That it becomes like uh, two horseshoe magnets. The upper part of the body and the lower part of the body become two horseshoe magnets like that. And uh, the, the experience I had when I did that was rather shattering. I felt exhausted afterwards because people coming up to a disciple after a service are going to draw what they can. And I said to Master afterwards, please don't ask me to do this again. It's taking too much out of me. His answer was beautiful. He said, it's because you're thinking of yourself. Think of God and you won't lose anything, you'll gain. And I tried that and I found it worked. That when you give of yourself in the egoic sense, you lose. But when you give from him, then you gain. Master's entire teaching is summed up in those words that he put, gave as the name of his organization, Self-Realization Fellowship. Self-realization is what we're all trying to achieve. It's so different from an organization where you've got uh, a hierarchy and all the energy goes to that hierarchy. In this work, in this religion, which is, I asked Master, is this a new religion? He said it's a new expression. Because truth is always the same, it never changes. Sanatan Dharma is the eternal religion. That's the real name for Hinduism. The indigenous name, Hinduism, was given to it by foreigners. But Sanatana Dharma, the eternal religion, is an inner experience, an inner realization, and that is eternal. It never changes. There are certain aspects that are emphasized at one time or another, but uh, because truth is infinite, there are many different aspects to, to present. But the truth that you get into is the same. Now, in self-realization, we are each one of us, our job is to find who and what we are. You know, there's only one person in all infinity and in all eternity 
who will have the song to sing that you've been given to sing. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Master said that every atom is dowered with individuality. And in a way, ego isn't a bad thing. Ego is a bad thing if you become proud, if you become selfish, uh, if you look down on others and condescend toward them, if you compare yourself with others. But ego is also what divides the human being from the animal. The animal knows that he's sort of uncomfortable when he hurts. But man knows that uh, he wants to do something about it. Man, the animal has a vague sense of hurt. The man, the human being, says, oh, I'm hurting. I want to get out of this, this hurt. And the way out is quite simple. The way is to get out of ego. But you need ego to want to get out of ego. That's what makes ego good. Not that it's a good thing in itself. But it focalizes your attention on what you should do. It helps you to become aware of this individuality that needs to express itself in its own way. Now, you're not, I don't mean self-expression. There's nothing but ego in self-expression in that sense. But to let the divine express itself through you in the way that it will. I remember this great saint, uh, disciple of Ramana Maharshi, Master, said, and I mentioned him yesterday. Master talked about, uh, uh, told me about this Saint Sridhama Yogi with whom he walked hand in hand on the grounds at Brahman Ashram for uh, a long time. He said, if I'd stayed with him another half hour, I could never have left India again. He felt such love for him. But uh, here was this great saint. Master said he was fully liberated. And uh, when I visited him, I saw that he was living there in this little ashram, little one-room ashram. No disciples. There was an uncle that took care of him who was a disciple, and there was a professor in Nellore uh, <coughs> who brought me there and translated for me. But uh, no one else that I could tell. It was a lovely story, by the way, his, his life story. He, um, he, he was given the mantra, uh, Ram Mantra, he used to repeat this Ram Mantra, and he retired to a little house. In fact, he built the house in the graveyard there in the crematory, uh, cremation grounds. And he used to sit there and repeat this mantra. And one time, one villager came to sort of sniff out what he was doing and looked. He found a little chink in the wall and looked. He saw this blazing light filling the whole room. And uh, uh, gradually, the light diminished, finally disappeared. The sink came out. He said, you shouldn't look into that light. Not ready for it. And so he developed something of a reputation, this saint did, in the town, but he still wasn't satisfied. There was a, a block there that he couldn't get beyond. And somebody told him about Ramana Maharshi. And so he went to visit him. And everybody was entranced with this glowing young man sitting there, and they were waiting to see what, what would happen. And so Ramana Maharshi asked him, Do you have any, any uh, questions? And he said, well, yes, I, I have a question. I have a, a, a doubt. Is it possible that uh, the person meditating on the light and the light itself and the act of viewing that light, that it's all the same thing? <coughs> and Ramana Maharshi turned to a, a scholar in the room and he said, well, you answer the question. And the man said, well, obviously it's not the same thing. Because if you're looking at something, obviously you're looking at something else other than you. 
and Ramana Maharshi said, no, that's not so. He said, there comes a point where a viewing, viewer, and the thing viewed are exactly the same. You see that it's all one. And so he realized, Sri Ramayogi realized his name at that time. And in Paul Brunton's book, you'll find him mentioned also, he's named Yogi Ramya, R-A-M-I-A-H. And uh, he too found him a wonderful saint. But he realized that in Ramana Maharshi, he had found his guru. And he settled down there and went on and broke through that, that, uh, uh, those, that barrier that was sort of holding him of not knowing and entered into that life and became one with it. I said to him, you have so much to give. Why don't you, why don't you help more people? It was a normal doubt, normal thing to ask. There, uh, I mean, here I am, shoved out there, ignorant as I am, trying to help people. What about somebody like that who's really got something to give? I don't have anything. And he said, God has done what he wants to do with his body. I thought that was such a wonderful answer. Because you see, we can't do it because we want to. If we do, then that's ego. What we want to do is just let God use us as we want to. And the more empty we can become of ourselves, the more we can realize that we are not anything except just conduits for whatever he wants to do. That's the song that I'm talking about. That if you learn to sing that song, it won't be anybody else's in all eternity. There are an infinity of songs to be sung in the great cosmic vibration of Om that holds all melodies, all music in the universe and beyond the universe, in the astral and the causal. You have something to find. So self-realization means not worrying about what other people are doing, not worrying about other people's realizations and where they are on the path and how great they may be, and so on. Small as you might be, great as you might be, it doesn't matter. We're pretty small anyway, compared to infinity. In fact, you'd say we can hardly exist. I remember one experience I had of the divine power. So great that it, I could, it seemed as if I could be snuffed out and not even notice. So infinite is that power that we're just nothing before, really nothing. But that's the power that we need to become one with and to express. Because that also, looked at from another point of view, is our power, our truth, our wisdom. And so self-realization means to live in yourself more. I remember Master saying to me once, always live in the self, always remain in the self. Come down on the bed or now and then to eat, talk as necessary back into the self. The more you can keep your spine straight, the more you can live at the center of your spine. That's why, that's one of the reasons Kriya Yoga is so important. Kriya Yoga burns up your karma and in, a, in one lifetime you can get rid of just incarnations of karma. Kriya Yoga also keeps you centered in yourself so that you realize that you are the center of the universe as far as you are concerned. It's funny, isn't it, that we've advanced from the ignorance of thinking that the world was the center of the universe to realizing that it's nothing but a small planet in a vast universe of trillions and trillions of stars with no center anywhere. It's something we discover that not merely the world, but that you are the center of that whole universe. 
Do you remember what Master wrote in his uh, poem Samadhi? I cognize the center of this empyrean, this vast universe, as a point of intuitive perception in my own heart. Realize that and use everything as a means to help unfold this reality. And the other thing Bob talk touched on yesterday is fellowship. Fellowship is the is the English translation of uh, sangha. Sangha just means fellowship, but what Master meant was fellowship in God, which is satsangha. Sat is truth. Fellowship in truth. Satsangha means above all fellowship with God in meditation. Secondly, it means living in the company of saints. And the more you can live in the company of saints, the better. In an Indian hymn, it says, Kandamapi, uh, oh, I forget the words. I forget the words now that I'm just speaking of, not singing it. But the idea is that a lotus on the water is very restless when there's a wind blowing. And so the mind on the waters of this world is very restless. But one moment in the company of a saint can be your raft over the ocean of delusion. Now, you don't have a saint with you all the time. You're lucky if you have him at all, or her at all. But you can keep the company of saints by being in tune with them. And that's what it's all about anyway. I have visited the ashrams of saints where people didn't seem to really get any benefit out of the saint's company. As Sri Yukteswar said in the book, his book, The Holy Science, company, keeping company with saints, is, is, uh, company is not a mere gallery of faces. It's a matter of drawing on the magnetism that is exuded by these saints. And that you can do from a distance. I remember saying to Ananda Mohima one time, uh, wouldn't you come to America? There are so many devotees who would like to see you there. And she said, well, I'm there already. <coughs> she didn't have to travel there. And, uh, but I, I cornered her on that one. <laughs> I said, well, but you sent me a telegram to come and visit you. <laughs> she didn't have an answer there. <laughs> Nevertheless, it's true. And uh, I knew it myself, that I could be with her, I could be with my guru, wherever I go. And of course, my guru is the, the one I'm uh, the most in tune with. But there was a very special thing with her, because during his lifetime, I was not spiritually awake enough to be able to have the outward relationship with him that I would have liked. And with her, I could have that. So I sort of saw her and him as one in Divine Mother, too. But you see that company with the saints is something that you feel in your heart, in your soul. If you chant their names, if you chant uh, their, pre uh, keep their presence in mind all the time, you will find that bit by bit you really are being guided. And in important ways. Sometimes, I, as I said yesterday, I prayed to different saints for different purposes. I was in, in uh, Madras wanting very much to have a period of seclusion before I could, before I had to go back to our organization in Calcutta, Dokkinesha, and uh, begin diving into my work as vice president of the organization and all that. I just wanted some time to just be in silence with God. 
And I didn't know where to go. I was in this hotel in Madras, and I couldn't get out because there were floods everywhere. I didn't know where to go. And so one morning I prayed to Babaji. I said, Babaji, please, you help me find a place. Time is starting to run out, and I, I don't want to just stay here. So I went to breakfast in the restaurant at the hotel, and the man, there was a man and his wife sitting at the table next to mine, and he said, well, where are you from? And I, I told him a little bit. And he said, well, I, I uh, started talking to you because I felt to tell you I have a small house in uh, the Nilgiri Mountains in a place called Kodaikanal, which is not far from Madras, and I, I'm not going to be there for a while. It would be uh, very much uh, my honor if you would stay there. Right five, ten minutes after I prayed to Babaji. I have seen that praying to the saints for specifics. Babaji, I've seen, helps me when I really need a life change. That I, uh, one time up in the Himalayas, I prayed all night, didn't get any answer at all, and suddenly there it was. And I saw a whole new direction that my life needed to go in. I saw it very clearly. But again and again, I've seen that these different saints um, come to us and guide us. So it's a specific thing. It, it's, each one is a part of the oneness of God, but each one also offers something special to the soul. So fellowship with uh, saints, as well as fellowship with, uh, with God in meditation. And then fellowship with truth seekers. Satsanga means also, and very, very importantly, fellowship with other truth-seekers. To be with people whose ideals are the same. Master used to say that the company you keep is more important than willpower. Environment, he said, is stronger than willpower. He said that what defines the difference between the heart's feelings whether it will go toward emotion or toward devotion, is the company you keep. Bernard, one of his disciples, said, well, Master, what if I'm alone? And Master said, am I not always with you? That's the most important company of all. Never think you're alone. But when you can have a chance to be with other entities, seek them out. Seek out the company of others who are on the path. Seek out the company of devotees everywhere. Don't close your mind to uh, people on other paths. That's the way of the world. That's the way of worldly religion. That's the way of uh, unenlightened devotees. You find them everywhere. But to be with wise people, whatever their outward persuasion, is certainly a blessing. So seek truth-seekers everywhere. There's a lovely story of Swami Ramdas when he first came to this country. He was uh, uh, following the ancient rules of, of the Swami order of not carrying any money. And he was on this ship because somebody had given him a ticket. But uh, he just took it in the name of God and was on his way here and had no money beyond that. And uh, just as they were coming into the harbor in San Francisco, a man came up to him and said, well, uh, where are you planning to go? And he said, wherever God wills. And he said, well, do you have any, any uh, friends here? He said, yes, I have one. And uh, he meant, of course, God. <laughs> but he also saw God in everyone. So this man said to him, well, uh, and Swami Ram Das, with perfect integrity, said, 
Just to sell this one. And the man was so charmed with this reply, he uh, sort of took charge of him and arranged for a language around him, sent him back, and so on. But you'll be amazed at how, when you keep that company of God in your heart, that you find friends everywhere. Total strangers will come down and sit down and talk to you, and you will realize that you're keeping company with God there. So when you keep company with people, in the name of truth, see truth in them. See them as manifestations of the divine. See them as God himself in that form. You'll find great inspiration in doing that. Now you may say, well, it's pretty hard sometimes. After all, some people are, are unpleasant. Some people are worldly. Okay, but the more you can see God in them, the more you'll start to bring out another side of them. I had a funny experience that way once. Um, years ago, I was being, uh, I was going to Europe, and I had all sorts of things to take over. I was seeing my parents, I was going to some of the uh, SR centers in, uh, in Europe, in France, Switzerland, and Germany, and I had different presents, I had a harmonium. Um, I was rather weighted down, you might say. Some of these things I didn't want to check through. and. Uh, I knew that I was way overweight for what was allowed at that time. Well, there was a man right in front of me who had less than I had and was being given a very hard time. And he was getting more and more angry. And he was shouting, I've traveled Pan-American for all these years. Nobody's ever been giving me this trouble. And the man took a very calm just insisted, I'm sorry, those are the rules. I want to see the manager. And so the manager finally came out. And and uh, he wouldn't let him do it. And he was very furious. He said, I'll never travel Pan American again, and so on and so forth. I thought, I'm going to help me. I, I don't have any money, and I, here I am with, uh, with a lot more than this man had. And uh, so I just thought of Divine Mother in that, in that form. And uh, maybe, he was, maybe there was no divine intercession at all. Maybe he was just exhausted fighting. I don't know. But as soon as he saw my things, he said, all right, well, what we got here? And John didn't even ask any questions. <laughs> but you'll see that somehow things flow well when you keep satsanga first with God and then include everybody in that. But make it a point not to mix with people whose consciousness can pull you down. This is very important because until you're strong, the question of magnetism is paramount. That a negative magnetism that's stronger than yours can pull you down. And you may say, well, I want to see God in everyone, but if they're seeing the devil in you and their vision is stronger than yours, it won't help you. Try not to, try not to be with worldly people. Even Ramakrishna, to set an example, got up and ran from the room and saw two evil men coming, two people of very worldly consciousness coming. He didn't need to do that. He could have certainly not been affected by it. But he was setting, setting an example. Avoid the company of people who are worldly unless you feel a certain blessing in yourself that makes you know you can help them. Other than that, don't. Master used to walk up and down, um, was it Main Street in, in uh, Los Angeles, in front of all the bars there. <laughs> just walk up and down. Didn't say anything. Obviously, he wasn't looking for the best beer in town. 
<laughs> I remember one time I was out in the desert sleeping, and suddenly I felt as if God Himself was in the room. Such a power there. I opened my eyes and I looked out. The Master had come over and was just uh, walking up and down outside. He was also blessing me in that way. But uh, if you feel a special blessing, a special need to help somebody, that's different. And God gives you that. But as a general practice, don't fall into the folly of thinking that I should love everybody, therefore let me prove it by loving the most unlovable. Wait till you're a master. Wait till you're strong. When you have that strength, then uh, they won't affect you. But until then, they can. So try to mix with people who are devotees. Try to surround yourself with good vibrations. A rule that I haven't followed, and I regret it, but uh, it hasn't been easy to follow, is the, the master used to say, don't eat in restaurants. They, the heterogeneous vibrations of people, especially while you're eating. You see, when you're eating, you're taking things into you. That way it means that you're mentally disposed to absorb rather than give out. And in that absorption, you absorb the heterogeneous vibrations, as he put it, of the people there. When you're talking, when you're giving, then it's another thing, but not when you're absorbing. So he said don't eat in restaurants, and he himself didn't. I remember he used to carry a little box of dried fruits and nuts in the car. But uh, it hasn't been convenient to follow that rule, and I haven't followed it. Nevertheless, I want to teach his teaching as he gave it, not as I practice it. <laughs> malpractice it sometimes. <laughs> because the principle is involved here. That if you, if you keep your vibrations in yourself, then you will be able to develop this, this light. In fact, as you walk, Try to walk enveloped in this light, this aura that you emanate. And doing the postures, they're a wonderful way of helping to develop your aura. Every time you move, try to feel as if you were enhancing that aura so that you're walking and living in this envelope of light wherever you go. That will keep you also protected under all circumstances. But remember that uh, fellowship and self-realization, those two together. The more you can mix with people, the more you can come to this place and take advantage of the vibrations that are growing all the time here. If you can live in a spiritual community, as I said yesterday, all the better. Because in the company of others, you yourself become strong. Master talked about group meditation as a uh, uh, mutual exchange of a vibratory exchange of magnetism that it, it, it becomes stronger when there are two or three. That's why Jesus said, where there are two or three gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And I've often wondered what Christians would do about that one if they really thought about it. Because they think of Jesus as here, don't they, in a form. Well, what does he do? Go huffing and puffing from church to church every Sunday morning? <laughs> make, make them all? Well, perhaps not all. There's that lovely story Master told about a, a black man who was the janitor of a church in the Deep South. And uh, he wanted to come and worship in the service uh, on Sunday morning. And the minister said, well, Jim, it's 
as much as my job is worth to let you go here. I can't, I can't do that. And uh, I feel badly about it, but the people wouldn't like him. So Jim felt very bad. At home, he prayed deeply to Jesus. And suddenly Jesus appeared in a vision. And he said, my child, don't feel too bad. Though. For 20 years I've been trying to get into that church myself, but I haven't yet succeeded. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the omnipresence of Jesus is what most people can't understand, because that omnipresence would have to be formless. Jesus couldn't be uh, a man in a human body be able to be in all those churches. He said, there am I, not there will I be when I finally get around to it. He said, there am I. That omnipresence is our omnipresence. That's what we need to live in, in this thought of self-realization, that our self is not just this. It's sort of like uh, if you can get down under the surface of the ocean, suddenly you're in the ocean whole ocean, that one little drop that you are merges into the ocean and becomes that ocean. And that's what your real self is, not this little expression of it. But you know, one of the wonderful things Master taught in his teaching, even though the philosophy is so secondary to the experience, when a great avatar comes, he also brings a teaching that can blend all the trends of religious thought down through the ages. There have been the thought of the Buddhists that there is no uh, uh, nothing but uh, nirvana, no consciousness uh, except uh, nothingness. And uh, Shankaracharya came to explain, no, it's not nothingness, it's no thingness. You've misunderstood Buddha. And then he defined God as Satchitananda. Ever-existing, ever-conscious, ever-new bliss is the way Master loosely translated that. And so the Advaitins, those who are, uh, believe in a philosophy of non-dualism, the disciples of Shankaracharya, they were saying, well, there's, uh, there's no need to worship anything. I'm the Absolute. And so they go out and drink or do other things. Well, that's not the Absolute doing that, not when they're in that consciousness. You can have that consciousness and do anything and be free, because it's not you doing it. Like one saint I knew, Swami Nara, who from a, uh, he was visiting a house, and this, uh, his host said to him, well, uh, say what you like, but I think the body has to influence the, the mind. For instance, if you drink a lot of alcohol, you're just going to get drunk. There's nothing, nothing else you can do. And Swami Nara said, well, bring me some, uh, some whiskey. So he brought him, I think it was a bottle of brandy. He drank the whole bottle. He said, give me another. He drank six bottles of brandy. That would have been enough to kill the average person. And he went on talking to him. He didn't touch him at all. Because he was not this body. He was not this mind. And he could take anything. He could take poison. It wouldn't matter. But the average person can't follow that, that uh, rule. You have to follow the rules. And so, what was I talking about? God. <laughs> going down from Shankara. Yeah, going down, thank you. Going down from Shankara. Um, they became these Advaitins who became very sort of cold in their approach to God, forgetting that Shankara himself, Advaitin though he was, wrote a, 
whole book of poems and prayers to the Divine Mother. And he, he understood the, the, the need for duality too, to reach the non-dual state. And so others came along and said that there is no, uh, Shankara was saying you have no separateness from God, ultimately you merge into that and you only become that. Others insisted that no, you keep your, your individuality as something separate from God. And uh, those are the Vishishtadvaitins. And others, the Dvaitas, uh, uh, like the Hare Krishnas and so on, insist that you're always separate from God. And Master came and explained it all just beautifully. He said, when you reach that state, you merge into it and you realize that God is the only reality. You have none. But, he said, you always keep that individuality as a memory. You see how he blended all of those things together? He said, yes, you become one, as Shankara said, but also you have that little separateness, as uh, um, Ramanuja and others said. And you can always come down and keep your separateness if you want to, and worship the Divine Mother as Shankara himself did, as Master did when he used to worship the Divine Mother, and then he become the Divine Mother. It was, uh, it's a play that the Masters engage in, but all levels are true. And Master showed how all of these things are basically the same truth. Well, your realization, when you achieve self-realization, is going to be that. That you are the infinite and beyond the infinite. The watchful spirit gazing outward upon his creation and the creation and the consciousness of the Christ within all creation. And also you will be India, Priyananda, Lavrinda, forever. Because that memory will be there. That God played that role for a little time. God sang that melody for a little time. And then finally, having perfected that melody in joy, merged back into himself again. This is our destiny. Is anything else worthwhile? All the things that we take to be so important, we should forget it all and just think of who we really are. Live in the thought. It will come, as Master said to me, it will come. You will have that. That is who you really are. You aren't anything else. So live in that thought right now if you want it to become real for you. Master said once to a group of us, you're free already. It's only the thought that you're not free that keeps you from being free, from being able to go into some you be completely liberated. And one of the disciples said, well, sir, if I said I was free, I wouldn't be, would I? Master said, oh, yes. But the trouble is you've answered your own question. You said I wouldn't be. Get rid of that thought, I'm not. Get rid of that thought, which is false humility, say I'm not worthy of that. Of course you're worthy of that. You are that, you're nothing else. Where's the question of worthiness? Certainly no cause for pride to finally find out. I, I often think of it as uh, probably the angels are up there saying, well, high time, for God's sake. <laughs> All these other people have already gone, and you're still lumbering along? <laughs> no cause for pride. But if belated, you, you finally wake up and realize that this is what I should have been doing all this time. Forget all that nonsense. You're here to find out who you're reading up, work at it, and you can make it even in this lifetime. It takes work, but nothing else is worth it. Only this. Yeah.